Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy Easter, everyone. I want to thank uh, Pastor Danny uh, for this morning's Easter dawn service and for his message. Um, I thought it was great hearing him and Akemi uh, singing together, leading us in praise. I was also so thankful this morning that I got to sing with my whole family. Um, Normally, I'm in one room and my family's in another room, and so I end up singing by myself, and uh, it's not really that pleasant. So uh, I was thankful that I got to sing with the whole family this morning. Uh, thanks also to uh, Pastor Doi. That was such a terrific message. And I'm thankful that uh, the children have some activities to do now so that um, I can have a little bit more of your uh, attention this morning. I know that we're missing a lot of traditions today because uh, we're not able to gather. Uh, the Easter egg hunt, breakfast up in Bergen County, uh, the youth group skit and others. But I'm still thankful that we still have this gathering uh, to be able to celebrate together the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. On Friday, I started to make a reflection about looking at the cross from a distance. The verse that really stuck out for me because of this season of social distancing was Matthew 27, 55. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him. The women came to the cross and they looked toward Jesus, but they were looking on from a distance. So this morning, I wanna make a further reflection about looking toward Jesus, but from a distance in light of the resurrection. If you're near my age, you may remember a song way back in 1990 that was popularized by Bette Midler. If you don't know who that is or the song, that's okay. It just means that you're young or that you were too cool to listen to the top 40 back in the day. The song was called From a Distance. And the song is essentially about how from a distance, the world looks like it's in harmony and peace. And that if you zoom out far enough, that you can't see guns and disease and hunger and everyone in the world looks like your friend, even though nations might be at war. And then comes this sentiment and chorus. From a distance, we are instruments marching in a common band, playing songs of hope, playing songs of peace. They're the songs of every man. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. 
From a distance, everything looks different, and the song insists everything looks better. Admittedly, sometimes this is true. As the character Cher noted in the 1995 classic movie Clueless, it's like an impressionist painting. It looks good from a distance, but up close, not so much, right? Like if I back away, or if I get really close, you don't want to see me that close, right? And you know that I have no uh, future in tele-evangelism. In addition to the space that is created by space, there is also the distance created by time. For example, this is a picture of me in the fourth or fifth grade. Now I can look at that and I am reminded that no matter how I feel about my childhood, no matter how far I get away from it, I'm reminded that I was never cool. So any of you kids out there, if you look anything like that then, this is what you're going to look like in your future. From a distance of space and time, we can easily make two mistakes. One is to get nostalgic and romanticize the past. You might think that the past was rosy and wonderful, how everything was great. Or you might think it was absolutely the worst time ever. People may think we used to have so much fun before we had kids, or the church was much better and more spiritual when it was younger, or middle school was so much better than high school, or I was so good looking in the fourth grade. It's not true. Every stage of life has its mix of good and bad. The other problem is that from a distance, we can easily and comfortably disengage. For example, you could write an annual check to pay for the meals of a child in Malaysia, but not have any meaningful connection to that child. Yes, you are making a difference in that child's life, but from a distance, that child can feel more like a symbol than a real person. They say that absence and distance makes the heart grow fonder, but I think this is only generally true if there is already a strong relationship. If there wasn't much of a relationship before, then distance will only make the heart more easily forget. And this is the appeal and danger of distance. It can feel like you're connected, but you're not really connected. And you can choose to be connected in the most superficial way without any of the messiness or of the genuine joys of a real relationship. Similarly, in a nonchalant way, this song appealed to a generic God who is watching us. Because from a distance, God doesn't seem to care. Because from a distance, even God can't see wars and hunger. God might be watching, but God is really not connected to us in any meaningful way. At best, it suggests that we should do better, try to be nicer to each other, because God is watching us and he's judging us. It's like that Christmas song, Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. That is not good news. These songs have catchy tunes, but it's terrible theology. 
They basically say, be good or else you'll regret it. Santa Claus and this God and their standings are mere abstract symbols to elicit good behavior. These are not the God of our scriptures. Many people, of course, today believe in this sort of deity, some powerful being who created the world and is now just sort of out there watching dispassionately, but not interfering in any way in the affairs of the world or with the laws of nature. This is something known as deism. Deism says that some ultimate force created the universe, but like a watchmaker, it wound up nature and just let it run its course without any more interference. Some people like this sort of generic God, a powerful force that is just sort of out there and leaves us alone and just watches us as if we were a reality TV show. At best, this deity reminds us to behave a little better, and that's about it. Today, it's been argued by some that many Christians, and especially Christian youth, have adopted a form of deism known as moralistic therapeutic deism, or MTD. It really is an empty theology. MTD says that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over the world, but from a distance. And that this God wants people to be good, to be nice, to be fair. And they argue that this kind of uh, morality is taught in the Bible and by most other religions. And that the central goal of life, according to this theology, is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. This God is not involved in your life in any way, except maybe when there's a big problem and you can ask this God for some help. And finally, it says that good people get to go to heaven when they die. In a similar vein, people have tried to neutralize Jesus so that he is more acceptable to everyone and aligned with our postmodern sensibilities. From a distance, they say that Jesus looks like an extraordinary man or perhaps a moral teacher, an example of love, or a prophet preaching to power, or a symbol for justice, or maybe he's just one more legendary demigod who died among the pantheon of gods in a religiously pluralistic landscape. But you know the gospel. You just heard the gospel this morning from Pastor Danny and Pastor Dohi. You know that this is absolutely wrong. This is terrible, terrible theology, and it is not the God of the scriptures. Nothing could be further from the truth of who God is as revealed in the scriptures and in Jesus Christ. What the gospel reveals to us is that God is not distant, is not generic. The entire movement of history is that God is redeeming history so that we can be near so that we can be with him. As you heard in the scripture reading, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It begins from the very beginning of our scriptures in the book of Genesis. In the garden, God is with humanity. God is walking with Adam. And then when Jacob ran away from home because his brother was trying to kill him, God promised him in Genesis 28, behold, I am with you and will keep you 
wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. To Moses, God promised, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. To the people of Israel, Moses reassured them in Deuteronomy 31, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The psalmist declares, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. To the prophet Isaiah, God said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. To the prophet Jeremiah, God said, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. To the prophet Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, he spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. When Paul was preaching in Corinth, God reassured him in Acts 18, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And Jesus, as he began his ministry, appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Before any of that work, the first thing was Jesus wanted them to be with him. Again and again and again throughout the scriptures, we see this desire of God to be in communion with us. God desired to be with us. But we could not be with him because of sin. Matthew's gospel begins with a long kind of boring genealogy, which may seem like a terrible way to start the good news. But Matthew says this, all this took place, that is this history, this genealogy, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All of history led to the birth of Jesus, who shall be called Emmanuel. Now, as far as we know, no one ever called Jesus Emmanuel. But that is who he is. It's not just a name. It's who he is. And even though he was with God, he came down from heaven and became incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary to be with us. And when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he did it so that we can be with him eternally. The cross, as you heard on Friday night, is what makes our union with God possible. The cross is what makes being with him possible. Now, if you've been at this church for more than a few months, you know my basic theology pretty well by now. As I've shared before, I basically preach one sermon, like most preachers, and my one sermon is rooted in the theology of encouragement or the theology of accompaniment. God is one who desires to be with us, to accompany us, and calls us to be a companion for one another. 
Just as God sent Jesus to us, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the holy encourager, the one that God calls alongside of us, so we are called to be alongside one another. And you know that the word accompaniment comes from the word companion, and companion literally means someone that you share bread with. It's someone that you share bread with. And I thought, man, that's, that's a great word. I love that. We have a theology of accompaniment because we have a God of accompaniment. Our very being as a community is rooted in sharing bread. This is why you need the church. You can listen to preachers and teachers far better than me online and at home and all alone. You can sing praise songs with world-class musicians, again, at home and online and alone. You can even make offerings online alone. You can do all the aspects of a worship service online and all alone. But you cannot, you cannot eat the bread and drink the cup alone. Those are concrete signs of Christ's grace for us, and they can only be experienced in community. If for no other reason, we gather together as a church to share bread with one another. As N.T. Wright has recently written, there is a reason we normally try to meet in the flesh. There is a reason solitary confinement is such a severe punishment. I hope this season has made clear, as it has for me, the need to be bodily present for one another. We cannot be the church apart from one another because we are the one body of Christ. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a number of interesting experiences. On Monday, I stopped by the homes of a few of our church members who live near me. One of them was Ben and Eunice's family. When I got to their house, I noticed that Whitney and Paige were playing outside and looked like Yuna was doing some yard work. And as I got out of the car, Whitney, to my great surprise, came running toward me with a massive smile like she wanted to hug me as if I were her favorite friend. I was so happy to see her. But as she ran toward me, I actually had to run away from her. I was like running around my car. And I had to you know, tell her, no, Whitney, you can't hug me now. You got to stay away. You got to stay away. I felt terrible. I don't get you know, these kinds of uh, experiences often, you know, having little children running toward me to hug me. But I had to keep my distance, even though she wanted to be close. I felt even worse after I left because I found out later that after I had left, she, she cried because she was so sad that she didn't get to say a proper goodbye to me. Actually, I mean, I, I did feel sad, but I kind of felt good, like she really loved me as well. And then after that, I visited another family from our church whose parents are staying with them. This time, when I got out of the car, the father approached me and stuck his hand out to greet me like you're supposed to do as good Korean adults. Again, I felt terrible, but I bowed, I mumbled some fake Korean, and I backed away as much as I could and tried to keep six feet between us. I think I may have offended him a little bit. Right now, we have to keep our distance from one another. 
this is ironically the best way we can love one another to be separate. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not what we're supposed to be. As the next picture shows, what we are doing now is not how our worship is supposed to be. This is not normal. Nor, as the next picture shows, this is not what baptism will look like in the coming weeks. And as the next picture shows, this is not how I'm going to do communion. Jesus is the one who was enfleshed and who rose in the body. And as this picture by Caravaggio shows, Jesus invited his disciples and us to touch him, to examine him, to give voice to our doubts and to believe. The testimony of the early witnesses is precisely this, that they knew Jesus. They walked with him. They heard him. They saw him. They handled him. They ate with him before and after the cross. And this is our confident hope. We will not be disembodied spirits in eternal virtual worship. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The resurrection of the body. A resurrected body, but a body. The day is coming, and hopefully soon, when we can gather together and experience once again the body of Christ. When we can actually shake hands and hug one another. I'm looking forward to the day, so looking forward to the day, when Whitney hopefully will run to me once again and the other young ones, and I can run toward them as well. The most beloved parable Jesus told was about a father and his two sons. You remember that the younger one demanded his share of the inheritance and walked away from his family. While he wasted his life away, you remember what the father did? He waited. He waited for his son to return. And when the son, having spent all of his father's wealth, when he hit rock bottom, when he was so desperate and hungry that he found pig slop appetizing, he finally decided to go home and beg for a job from his father. And Jesus says this, and when he arose and came to his father, but while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Do you hear the good news? God may be watching us from a distance, but it's not a distance created by God. It's a distance we create by sin. And God forever waits for us. God forever waits for us from that distance. And when we dare to draw near, even from a distance, when we take one step forward toward home, God runs toward us. God bridges that distance. That distance has been forever, once and for all, collapsed on the cross. In the parable, Jesus is telling us that God is moved with compassion and runs towards us and longs for us to hug, to embrace, to kiss us. Because God's desire is communion. God's desire is unity. God's desire is to be with us 
always. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. To know the Father and to have fellowship with him and with one another now and forever. Maybe some of you are feeling far from God today. Do you know that God stands ever near and is ready to draw near? Acts 2.39 reminds us that for to you is the promise, to you and to your children, and to all that are far off, to all who are distant, even as many as the Lord our God shall call unto him. God comes to us because we could not. He reaches out across the great gap, the gap of our sins, of our fears, our anxieties, our sense of unworthiness, and everything else that keeps us at a distance from God. He reaches out and is determined to bring us close. God is determined to rescue us. For you and for all your children and to all who are at a distance, I am with you always. The Gospel of Matthew began with Emmanuel, the birth of Jesus, the God who is with us. And for a brief moment on Good Friday, it looked like he was gone in death. But that death is actually what enables us to be with him forever. Because that death takes away our sins and leads to the resurrection. The gospel begins and ends as a story of the Bible begins and ends. And that is, God is with us always. even to the end of the age. That is the promise of the resurrection. In Jesus is life and life eternal. As he is in the Father, so we too shall be united with him. As he has fellowship with the Father, so we too shall have fellowship. When we end our worship service today, my last words to you, as always, will be a benediction, a blessing. And the blessing, remember, is not for comfort, it is not for material possessions. It is not even for health and safety during this season. It is that God, the triune God, would be with you always. It is that you would experience the presence of God even though you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that you would know that God is with you and that God will bring you to eternal life because he is risen we too shall rise. This is our Easter hope. Let's pray together. Someday in the distant future, I'm quite certain that all of us will be telling our grandchildren the stories of how we got through the 2020 pandemic, about how we kept six feet apart, about standing in long lines to buy hand sanitizers, about how our neighbors were hoarding toilet paper and about how America started to wear masks. But what other stories might we tell? Will we remember Easter Sunday? Will we remember the acts of love we gave and received? Will we remember the ways in which we enfleshed the good news even during this season of social distancing? Gracious God, 
You are the God of new life and the resurrection. And to you, we give our thanks. Help us to know, help us to know, as we worship, to have confidence that you are with us always, as you have always been. That on the cross, you made possible for us to be with you now and forever. That in this life and in the life to come, you are with us always. We thank you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.